Part 2, Chapters 13 and 14 of Democracy in America, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by HearHis.com. Democracy in America, Volume 2 by Alexis de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve. Part 2, Chapter 13. Causes of the restless spirit of Americans in the midst of their prosperity. In certain remote corners of the old world, you may still sometimes stumble upon a small district which seems to have been forgotten amidst the general tumult, and to have remained stationary whilst everything around it was in motion. The inhabitants are for the most part extremely ignorant and poor, they take no part in the business of the country, and they are frequently oppressed by the government. Yet their countenances are generally placid, and their spirits light. In America I saw the freest and most enlightened men, placed in the happiest circumstances which the world affords. It seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung upon their brow, and I thought them serious and almost sad even in their pleasures. The chief reason of this contrast is that the former do not think of the ills they endure. The latter are forever brooding over advantages they do not possess. It is strange to see with what feverish adore the Americans pursue their own welfare and to watch the vague dread that constantly torments them, lest they should not have chosen the shortest path which may lead to it. A native of the United States clings to this world's goods as if he were certain never to die, and he is so hasty in grasping all within his reach that one would suppose he was constantly afraid of not living long enough to enjoy them. He clutches everything, he holds nothing fast, but soon loosens his grasp to pursue fresh gratifications. In the United States, a man builds a house to spend his latter years in it, and he sells it before the roof is on. He plants a garden, and lets it just as the trees are coming into bearing. He brings a field into tillage, and leaves other men to gather the crops. He embraces a profession and gives it up. He settles in a place which he soon afterwards leaves to carry on his changeable longings elsewhere. If his private affairs leave him any leisure, he instantly plunges into the vortex of politics. And if at the end of a year of unremitting labor he finds he has a few days' vacation, his eager curiosity whirls him over the vast extent of the United States, and he will travel fifteen hundred miles in a few days to shake off his happiness. Death at length overtakes him, but it is before he is weary of his bootless chase of that complete felicity which is forever on the wing. At first sight... There is something surprising in this strange unrest of so many happy men, restless in the midst of abundance. The spectacle itself is, however, as old as the world. The novelty is to see a whole people furnish an exemplification of it. 
their taste for physical gratifications must be regarded as the original source of that secret inquietude which the actions of the americans betray and of that inconstancy of which they afford fresh examples every day he who has set his heart exclusively upon the pursuit of worldly welfare is always in a hurry for he has but a limited time at his disposal to reach it to grasp it and to enjoy it the recollection of the brevity of life is a constant spur to him besides the good things which he possesses he every instant fancies a thousand others which death will prevent him from trying if he does not try them soon this thought fills him with anxiety fear and regret and keeps his mind in ceaseless trepidation which leads him perpetually to change his plans and his abode if in addition to the taste for physical well-being a social condition be superadded in which the laws and customs make no condition permanent here is a great additional stimulant to his restlessness of temper men will then be seen continually to change their track for fear of missing the shortest cut to happiness it may readily be conceived that if men passionately bent upon physical gratifications desire eagerly they are also easily discouraged as their ultimate object is to enjoy the means to reach that object must be prompt and easy or the trouble of acquiring the gratification would be greater than the gratification itself their prevailing frame of mind then is at once adherent and relaxed violent and enervated death is often less dreaded than perseverance in continuous efforts to one end the equality of conditions leads by a still straighter road to several of the effects which i have here described will all the privileges of birth and fortune all abolished when all professions are accessible to all and a man's own energies may place him at the top of any one of them an easy and unbounded career seems open to his ambition and he will readily persuade himself that he is born to no vulgar destinies but this is an erroneous notion which is corrected by daily experience the same equality which allows every citizen to conceive these lofty hopes renders all the citizens less able to realize them it circumscribes their powers on every side whilst it gives freer scope to their desires not only are they themselves powerless but they are met at every step by immense obstacles which they did not at first perceive they have swept away the privileges of some of their fellow creatures which stood in their way but they have opened the door to universal competition the barrier has changed its shape rather than its position when men are nearly alike and all follow the same tract it is very difficult for any one individual to walk quick and cleave away through the dense throng which surrounds and presses him this constant strife between the propensities springing from the equality of conditions and the means it supplies to satisfy them harasses and wearies the mind 
it is possible to conceive men arrived at a degree of freedom which should completely content them they would then enjoy their independence without anxiety and without impatience but men will never establish any equality with which they can be contented whatever efforts a people may make they will never succeed in reducing all the conditions of society to a perfect level and even if they unhappily attain that absolute and complete depression the inequality of minds would still remain which coming directly from the hand of god will forever escape the laws of man however democratic then the social state and the political constitution of a people may be it is certain that every member of the community will always find out several points about him which command his own position and we may foresee that his looks will be doggedly fixed in that direction when inequality of conditions is the common law of society the most marked inequalities do not strike the eye when everything is nearly on the same level the slightest are marked enough to hurt it hence the desire of equality always becomes more insatiable in proportion as equality is more complete amongst democratic nations men easily attain a certain equality of conditions they can never attain the equality they desire it perpetually retires before them yet without hiding itself from their sight and in retiring draws them on at every moment they think they are about to grasp it it escapes at every moment from their hold they are near enough to see its charms but too far off to enjoy them and before they have fully tasted its delights they die to these causes much be attributed that strange melancholy which oft-times will haunt the inhabitants of democratic countries in the midst of their abundance and that disgust at life which sometimes seizes upon them in the midst of calm and easy circumstances complaints are made in france that the number of suicides increases in america suicide is rare but insanity is said to be more common than anywhere else these are all different symptoms of the same disease the americans do not put an end to their lives however disquieted they may be because their religion forbids it and amongst them materialism may be said hardly to exist notwithstanding the general passion for physical gratification the will resists reason frequently gives way in democratic ages enjoyments are more intense than in the ages of aristocracy and especially the number of those who partake in them is larger but on the other hand it must be admitted that man's hopes and his desires are oftener blasted the soul is more stricken and perturbed and care itself more keen democracy in america volume two by alexis de tocqueville translated by henry reeve part two chapter fourteen taste for physical gratifications united in america to love of freedom and attention to public affairs 
When a democratic state turns to absolute monarchy, the activity which was before directed to public and to private affairs is all at once centered upon the latter. The immediate consequence is, for some time, great physical prosperity. But this impulse soon slackens, and the amount of productivity industry is checked. I know not if a single trading or manufacturing people can be cited, from the Tyrians down to the Florentines and the English, who were not a free people also. There is therefore a close bond and necessary relation between these two elements, freedom and productive industry. This proposition is generally true of all nations, but especially of democratic nations. I have already shown that men who live in ages of equality continually require to form associations in order to procure the things they covet, and, on the other hand, I have shown how great political freedom improves and diffuses the art of association. Freedom in these ages is therefore especially favorable to the production of wealth. Nor is it difficult to perceive that depositism is especially adverse to the same result. The nature of a despotic power in democratic ages is not to be fierce or cruel, but minute and meddling. Despotism of this kind, though it does not trample on humanity, is directly opposed to the genius of commerce and the pursuits of industry. Thus the men of democratic ages require to be free in order more readily to procure those physical enjoyments for which they are always longing. It sometimes happens, however, that the excessive taste they conceive for these same enjoyments abandons them to the first master who appears. The passion for worldly welfare then defeats itself, and, without perceiving it, throws the object of their desires to a greater distance. There is, indeed, a most dangerous passage in the history of a democratic people, when the taste for physical gratifications amongst such a people has grown more rapidly than their education and their experience of free institutions. The time will come when men are carried away and lose all self-restraint at the sight of the new possessions they are about to lay hold upon. In their intense and exclusive anxiety to make a fortune, they lose sight of the close connection which exists between the private fortune of each of them and the prosperity of all. It is not necessary to do violence to such a people in order to strip them of the rights they enjoy. They themselves willingly loosen their hold. The discharge of political duties appears to them to be a troublesome annoyance, which diverts them from their occupations and business. If they be required to elect representatives, to support the government by personal service, to meet on public business, they have no time. They cannot waste their precious time in useless engagements. Such idle amusements are unsuited to serious men who are engaged with the more important interests of life. These people think they are following the principle of self-interest, but the idea they entertain of that principle is a very rude one, and the better to look after what they call their business. They neglect their chief business, which is to remain their own masters. As the citizens who work do not care to attend to public business, 
and as the class which might devote its leisure to those duties has ceased to exist, the place of the government is, as it were, unfilled. If at that critical moment some able and ambitious man grasps the supreme power, he will find the road to every kind of usurpation be open before him. If he does but attend for some time to the material prosperity of the country, no more will be demanded of him. Above all, he must ensure public tranquillity. Men who are possessed by the passion of physical gratification generally find out that the turmoil of freedom disturbs their welfare, before they discover how freedom itself serves to promote it. If the slightest rumor of public commotion intrudes into the petty pleasures of private life, they are aroused and alarmed by it. The fear of anarchy perpetually haunts them, and they are always ready to fling away their freedom at the first disturbance. I readily admit that public tranquillity is a great good, but at the same time, I cannot forget that all nations have been enslaved by being kept in good order. Certainly, it is not to be inferred that nations ought to despise public tranquillity, but that state ought not to content them. A nation which asks nothing of its government but the maintenance of order is already a slave at heart, the slave of its own well-being awaiting but the hand that will bind it. By such a nation, the despotism of faction is not less to be dreaded than the despotism of an individual. When the bulk of the community is engrossed by private concerns, the smallest parties need not despair of getting the upper hand in public affairs. At such times it is not rare to see upon the great stage of the world, as we see at our theatres, a multitude represented by a few players, who alone speak in the name of an absent or inattentive crowd. They alone are in action whilst all are stationary. They regulate everything by their own caprice. They change the laws. They tyrannize at will over the manners of the country. And then men wonder to see into how small a number of weak and worthless hands a great people may fall. Hitherto the Americans have fortunately escaped all the perils which I have just pointed out. And in this respect they are really deserving of admiration. Perhaps there is no country in the world where fewer idle men are to be met with than in America or where all who work are more eager to promote their own welfare. But, if the passion of the Americans for physical gratifications is vehement, at least it is not indiscriminating, and reason, though unable to restrain it, still directs its course. An American attends to his private concerns as if he were alone in the world, and the next minute he gives himself up to the common will as if he had forgotten them. At one time he seems animated by the most selfish cupidity, at another by the most lively patriotism. The human heart cannot be thus divided. 
the inhabitants of the United States alternately display so strong and so similar a passion for their own welfare and for their freedom, that it may be supposed that these passions are united and mingled in some part of their character. And indeed, the Americans believe their freedom to be the best instrument and surest safeguard of their welfare. They are attached to the one by the other. They by no means think that they are not called upon to take a part in the public will. They believe, on the contrary, that their chief business is to secure for themselves a government which will allow them to acquire the things they covet, and which will not debar them from the peaceful enjoyment of those possessions which they have acquired. End of Part 2 Chapter 14 Recording by hearhis.com.